We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Find meaning in what you do or don't do, at least not for long. In this episode of Self-Helpful Show, we continue the discussion on Jordan Grummet and his book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. Here today, I bring you Tom Ziegler to co-host with me to get his take on it. Tom is Zig Ziegler's son, CEO of Ziegler Inc., author and in-demand speaker. And we began discussing the change that Jordan cites when people get an end-of-life diagnosis and the immediate shift that he sees from their protective selves and stories and the transition to possibility and meaning. If you were told you just had months to live, you'd likely seek to repair relationships, right? We don't do it today because we have faith that we're going to have plenty of time and we don't really want to be that vulnerable with people, which again points back to how we primarily live to protect ourselves. Tom and I then get into Jordan's perspective on flattening or flipping Maslow's hierarchy of need. And when we start with, if we would start with self-actualization, everything else becomes so much easier as we know what we want and why, which is much the focus of my own book, What Drives You. This ultimately lands us on the necessity, if you want an abundant and inspired life, of finding meaning in what you do. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you are a coach or consultant and want to add credibility, clients, and impact to your business, go to Ziglar.com today. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Tom Ziglar and a discussion together on Jordan Grummet's topic of taking stock of our lives. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Tom, I continue to just ruminate on this message on how to grapple with, you know, this end of life type of perspective, how to have that. and you know, I don't have a six month diagnosis to, you know, that's that's as far as I'm going to live. And if I did, I'd probably be thinking about tying up loose ends with finances and whatnot and, and then connecting with people. But you know what, you just listen to it. Give me some thoughts there. Cause I, I've got some things I want to run through with you. Yeah. So it reminded me during COVID season and the lockdowns, my wife and I would take walks through the neighborhood talking about all this stuff. And one of the themes was 
what are we putting off? Right. That, that we really want to do. Yeah. And so that really, I haven't really put myself in the terminal diagnosis category as far as having that much like incentive to figure it out. But it towards the end, and I don't know if I was connecting dots or if he said it, but he said, you know, when you, when you get your priorities right, when you get them aligned, then the other stuff falls in place. Yeah. And we just go about it backwards. Yeah. Right. And it's, I remember doing a lot of research for choose to win and I was in the financial uh, spoke on the wheel and I researched all the different financial gurus, you know, what are like the 10 or 20 things you need to do? And none of them that I found even considered starting with why. And it was really profound to me that if we're going to have financial goals in life, which we should, why don't we start with why do we want the financial goals first? And so many people, it's, it's fear of something, right? It's, it's shelter and food and clothing and the basics. And then, you know, the fear of not fitting into the group I want to, you know, and this need to have my life, um, desires and goals taken care of and money can take care of that rather than looking at the, you know, dad said so eloquently, I like the things that money will buy, but I love all the things money won't buy. Yeah. So that those thoughts were going, going through my head and yeah, it's like, why do we, it's, you know, we live in consumer consumption world and we've got to have more and more and more. Our whole GDP runs off, you know, this idea that we will never satisfy the wants. I just read a huge article on AI and this guy was very positive about it saying that, Hey, you know what? So what if 60 to 80% of the jobs get replaced, we'll figure out new jobs and there will be more productivity than there's ever been. And People are never satisfied, so they're just going to go spend it. The economy is going to go to places that we've never been before. Uh, and so it's like a case proof for what he's saying is there's never enough if you don't know what your why is and how come we delay our why until the end of life. Does it make sense? It, it doesn't, man. And I'll tell you that one, and I think I talked about it with Jordan. If not, it was with another guest recently on that, you know, the next time-saving device. So now we got AI, man. It's going to do all this stuff and it's going to save us whatever, 20 minutes a day or four hours a day or whatever. It is not going to, we're not going to, to, to come a year down the road and have all this free time and all this margin and all this peace. We're just going to fill it with the same stuff we fill it with now. We're going to do more of this and that and this and that. And yeah, that's, that's, so profound to me that every time saving device, it doesn't save us time. It just allows us to do more of other stuff. So that's what we should say. Hey, AI, AI is going to come along and it's going to allow you to do 10 more things. And you're going to be just as stressed, just as anxious, just as time deficient. Uh, but yeah, coming back to your why Tom and man, I got to give credit, credit to, well, there's a lot of people down the line, but you know, Simon Sinek, start with wise, one of the most watched Ted talks of all time. And he really puts it towards a business perspective. It's really a key point of uh, my book of what drives you is, is doing that. And it's gotten me thinking lately, especially as I have been interviewed on shows and people are asking me questions, you know, the book could have been at, uh, could have been titled, or maybe I should do another one. And it's like the fifth level of why, because we all think that we know why. Uh, so yeah. what do you, why do you work well, for money? No, why do you, why do you need that? Well, to, you know, pay for my house. Well, why do you need that? Well, and then, you know, because of family, because, and we get down to the nitty gritty of what I really care about, but it's such a deeper why. And I came back, I did it this morning time. I pulled up Maslow's hierarchy of needs again. I found myself talking about it over and over and over because it starts off at the bottom with physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. And I have a kid just graduated from high school, Ian. Uh, so he, he's 18 
just graduated. And that's still been his perspective. We've been discussing it within this framework of, okay, I need to go get a job. I need to, you know, take care of things. And uh, he's not going to go to college right now if he does at all. Uh, but he's, you know, looking at, okay, I got to do this. I got to start there, physiological needs. I'll get that taken care of. And then I'll, then I'll go up to, and I, not him saying that, but, you know, parenthetically. Right. Safety needs. Okay, now I'm going to get to security and employment and resources. And from that, then I'll get to love and belonging, you know, friendship and intimacy, you know, maybe a relationship, get married. And then esteem is the next one on Maslow's hierarchy, esteem, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition. And then the last one, self-actualization. And, and just like Jordan said, you know, Jordan's aspect was to go flatten it, flatten the hierarchy. And I'm thinking, just flip it. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself talking to my son about that and go, Dude, how about if you just take off and go figure yourself out? You spent 18 years being programmed by me. You need to deal with that. Uh, programmed by the little culture of this little mountain town. Dude, go out and experience some stuff and figure yourself out and figure out what you value and why. And then coming back to just what you said, I think you'll figure everything else out very quickly then. You know who you are. You'll get a great job that fits you and that inspires you. You'll make money. That stuff will come. Otherwise, you're going to come down here, start off with physiological needs. And as most people do, they'd never really evolve past that. Or they get to, like Jordan said, to their deathbed uh, or a death knell. And, and, then, and then it's like, holy smokes, who am I? Which is what Jordan did. He kind of got to that place of going, gosh, I got my finances taken care of. I don't want to really be a doctor, but I can kind of be free to do what I want to do. And I don't even know what I want at whatever age he was, mid-30s, 40s, something like that. It's I feel like it's, it's one of those things that's massively profound, but it's a hard sell. It's a, it's a really, really hard sell because our culture is transactional and our values based yes. on what we do, yes. right? not, not who we are. Um, I wrote a, last week I, I wrote something that we sent out an email, value email, and it was on AI. And so it kind of speaks to this. And I, I wrote this before I listened to the episode you recorded. Uh, and so listen to this. So here are two things we need to do going forward in regards to AI. How do I leverage AI with my skills and experience to serve more people and solve more problems? This means I need to get very good at understanding and using AI. This will make me more valuable to those I serve and especially in the area I believe is my calling. Well, Kevin, you said something, you know, all we need is another time-saving device, right? Because right. that's what AI is going to do. And so my point is, is, and then the second point, and I'll tie them together, is we need to focus on what AI will never be able to do. And how can I get really good at that? Well, there's two things AI will never be able to do. It'll never be able to make me the person God created me to become for self-improvement, for self-actualization, for understanding my purpose. And two is it will never replace me with relationships with other people. And so we, so I look at AI as this great resource to give me more time to improve myself and build relationships, which is, <laughs> kind of kind of going back to this ultimate purpose uh and what we're talking about so at the end of the day when we talk about self-actualization i've studied so much about happiness and i've listened to jordan peterson about you know how do you grow into a productive human specifically a man so we know that if we chase happiness, we'll never catch it, right? And so what do we chase? We chase purpose. Mm -hmm. And how do we become a valuable human being? Well, we do, we do things that allow us to serve other people, solve others' problems, and respect ourselves, right? Which is at the very bottom of that, or... I guess it's at the top of the pyramid, right, <laughs> of, of, of the hierarchy. And so the interesting thing is, is that we're entering a time where higher standards of living requires less of our man hour time to create it, just as a world, right? It used to be somebody had to toil 12 hours a day 
just to scratch out enough food to feed them and their family. Yeah. Right. And now with technology and all the things that we have, I don't know what that ratio is. Is it a couple hours a day to get our basic wellness? You know what I mean? And so what do we do with that other time? And well, we've replaced it with the things that are really important with artificial wants. It's like, how much stuff do I have in my house? Cause I saw it on a commercial or somebody else had it. Like if I'd never seen that stuff, I would have never known I needed it. it and on that, I would, I'm trying to think of a word of, cause you're talking about almost like uh, consumerism and, and material clutter. And I'm thinking about mental clutter and I'm trying to say this in a way that's, that's respectful, but I do feel like we're, yeah, we're in this time where you're supposed to know about everything. You're supposed to be well-informed. You've got the media, you've got social media, you've got the news, whatever. You're supposed to know about everything happening across the world. If you don't, you're ignorant and you're, you know, uncaring. You should know about it. You should have an opinion on it. And I, so I'm trying not to, to hit against that because there are certain things that are important and they're important to certain people and they really have some, some value. But to some point I'm thinking, how do you have time to know about all this stuff? Do you know the people right in front of you? And I've found myself realizing how not spending time in the media and whatnot, I don't know all what's going on, but do I know what's happening with my wife? Do I know what's happening with my kid, with my friends, with the person that's on the screen in front of me for my work? And I haven't found that I'm missing out on anything important. Like I haven't come to a point of going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was unaware of that for the past week. It's created a big deficit in my life now. Now I'm being a little exaggerated on that, but I do look and think, I, I almost honor somebody who says, gosh, I, I just don't even know what's going on out there in a lot of things. I'm so... I got enough happening with the faces and the lives in front of me. And granted, there can be a balance, but yeah, talk about the mental clutter and the anxiety. And I, I've even come to that, even with just keeping up with my, with, with people on social media, even my kids sometimes like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with the notifications on the phone. Just turn them off. I don't want to look at it. You know, we'll talk at dinner and it takes a toll. We know it does, but we just accept the culture. And I tend to as well. We want to trust. We want to belong. We want to think everything is okay. We don't want to feel negative, uh, which is relevant. And yet, man, the stats aren't, the stats aren't proven out very well uh, as far as our physical, mental well-being. And yeah, back to what you said, purpose on what am I doing and why, and really why, and really why, and to go under that. We should have a, we should do a why event, Tom. Tom. Uh, go through the Ziegler wheel of life with folks and everybody meets with a coach or meets with somebody there. And it's, yeah, the five levels, the three levels, the seven levels, whatever it may be of why and bring them down. Why are you doing it? Cause I don't think that we know. And I know that that's part of my story. It's part of the story of my book. Realize that I'm super driven, but doggone I'm 45 or I was, you know, 40 something. And I didn't really get clear on what I'm driving towards and why. And then found out I had some whys I was unaware of. So here's something that I found extremely interesting. Um, we have a partner and the partner is Integrity Marketing and we're doing a huge leadership program for them. Uh, so we did the pilot and they brought in about 27 of their top leaders from all over the country. And we did a series of exercises with them. And one of them was the Ziegler Wheel of Life. Mm -hmm. And of course, I grew up on that. And it's if you're a new listener, it's just the seven areas of life, the mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, personal and career. And so in class, we had each person do a self-evaluation of how they were doing in each one of those areas. And we've got 10 questions that they can look at at each area. It only takes about 15 minutes to do. And. The, you know, the tenure, I would say most people in that room had 20 plus years of leadership experience. So it's a, you know, the, the group age is probably, you know, 40s to 50s, maybe, maybe even a little older in some cases. So a lot of experience.
But we also did these other exercises. We did uh, problem solving. We did the DISC personality profile. We did all these things. And then at the very end, we sent out a survey and we asked them, what was your favorite exercise? And 50% of them said the wheel of life. So you've got all of these, I mean, type A industry leaders from every worldly perspective, incredibly successful. And the thing that was most revealing to them was really looking at how balanced is my life. Well, then we went back and we looked at the discussions that we had. And there was an organic discussion that came out of that. And it was really getting alignment between somebody's why and the work they were doing. And so we added a whole new activity on discovering your why into this top-notch, top-level leadership program. They're putting over 500 leaders through it this year. And so it's, it's, it's like, you know, as dad would say, it's the wisdom of the ages, balance life and why you do what you do should always be supreme, but the trials of the day always push it to the side. Yeah. Right. And so here we've spent all this, all this energy. We've got the best minds in the world. We've had the best people go through it. These top leaders. And they're going back to the foundation. And so just hearing your discussion on that, on the episode of, gosh, what if young people yeah. put their life in the right priority and, you know, talking about Ian getting ready to tackle the world. If he gets his purpose and his why really clear and he understands balance of life and what he's going for and what an incredible advantage. Yeah. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to air doctor comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping, go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off exclusive to podcast customers. You will also receive a free three year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to a I R D O C T O R P R O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, and I, I brought up in that show a guest we've got coming up soon. Don Dapani. he was a monk for 10 years, came out of that. And I can't remember what the term is, uh, Tom, something like, who didn't renew his vows or something to stay a monk. So he left that and he's still a, a Hindu priest, but, uh, but is, uh, you know, out in the, out in the real world, in essence, living a, a lifestyle like we do, but 10 years doing that now, not literally sitting on top of a mountain, you know, pondering butterflies, but to exaggerate the point, you know, he's out there doing self-actualization for 10 years, gets out and the guy's you know multimillionaire at this point. He was f- completely clear on what he wanted and his why, and knocked it out of the park. And something with you talking about that, Tom, talking about your experience with uh, uh, with the company, I thought about because I heard somebody recently. It was a friend of a friend who went to rehab. I don't know what the addiction was, you know, drugs, alcohol, something like that. And so they go to rehab. So they're in their life. They can't stop it. They can't jump out of it. And so it's just divest yourself of everything, go to rehab for whatever that is, uh, a week, a month, three months. I don't know what it is. How great would that be? So for everybody who's not young, who's not my son, just out of high school, who's in your life and you are 30, 40, 50, whatever. And you think self-actualization, man, you're just, you're, you're in the grind right now. How great would it be to rip them out to life rehab? You know, even if it's a week, a week of going, okay, we're taking you out of your your life. This is not a fitness camp. This is not a whatever. This is to to go through. What are you doing? Tell us what your day looks like. Tell us what your week looks like. What was the last month, last year? What are you doing? Let's list it out. And then why? Take the Ziggler wheel of life. Yeah. And just go through there. Why are you doing that? And I think we would come out with so many people on, on two hands. One, either really convicted about some of the things that they're doing, convicted and committed. Now I, I get my why even more so now, man, I am rock solid. And on the other hand, oh my gosh, I'm free. I'm letting that thing go. I've been chasing that, chasing that perspective, that goal, that whatever, that, uh, that, that should, it's probably a should, an expectation. I've been chasing that and I'm going to let it go. Holy smokes. Talk about freeing up your life. You want to free up your life uh, better than AI, figure out some of the things that you're churning away for that you really don't want to do. You're not doing it for you. It's not authentic to you. It's a should, it's an expectation from someone else, from the culture, something you just grasp onto yourself that you unconsciously agreed with that if we consciously make you face it, you look at it and go, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know why that drains me. I don't enjoy it. It doesn't add up. I mean, you know, this Tom from business coaching where you'll find somebody and realize that they're kind of the 80, 20 rule. You can, you pair, you can, you can speak this back better than I'm going to say it, but I'll pitch it to you where you find out that they're their profit is coming from over here where they're spending 20% of the time and there's wasting 80% over here and it's not helping. Let's get rid of that 80% and just jack you over here in a 20% and their profit increases, you know, tenfold. That's our lives so often. Uh, so there you go. That's our next endeavor. You ready? Life rehab by Ziegler. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's like we also are conditioned to answer the questions we think the world wants us to answer. Sure. So sure. I, I can, I never forget the uh, example that Seth Godin used years ago. He said, imagine there's a, there's a high school senior and they're about to go to college and they have two options. They get a full ride. Everything's included to the university of Texas and they get in the honors program and it's a great school or they get a college, uh, Harvard says, come here but it's going to cost you 150,000. Mm-hmm. And so what most people think is, well, Harvard's worth 150,000, but you're not asking all the right questions. What if you went to Texas, got the degree, and then sought out three different companies that you would love to work for and offer a one and go to them and say, Hey, I'm self-sufficient. I can work for you for a year for free. This is this is the path I want to go on. What would you do? You could do that for three years in a row 
funding yourself 50,000 a year. And where would you be at the end of that three years, right? You, you can chart your own path or you can get the degree from Texas and buy a business, or you can get the degree from Texas and pay cash for a house. I mean, right. And how different is your life? But we get, we get sold an argument that says this is the path, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like Chris Gillibrew when I when I read his uh, manifesto, "The Art of Nonconformity." Years ago, yeah. this had to, oh, that's like, fifteen years at least, at yeah. least. And he said he he gets out of college, he's not ready for work, so he goes to the Peace Corps. And when he comes back, he reconnects with all of his friends, and he says, "How are you doing?" And they were all slaves to car payments. Yeah. They had the good jobs, you know, they were working for the big companies and they were on their way up, but they were working 80, 90, hundred hours a week to pay for the new SUV, the new BMW, living in a downtown high cost place of work. And he said that car payment back then was like 570 bucks a month on average. And he figured out that he could hit his goal of visiting a hundred countries in four years or three or four years, just by being smart and putting that 500 and something dollars a month into travel. Yeah. Right. And so here he said, I can either trap myself into what the world says I should do and be a slave to that. Or my, my big dream is to travel and see a hundred countries. Yeah. And that's what he chose. And it's it's interesting how we all have that option, but we don't know it. Yeah, it was, I'm with you, Tom. I, and, and I'm finding myself there. So, I mean, again, we've got some people, what a great message for our youth right now to look at encouraging and supporting them in understanding themselves and what they really want and why, instead of just the cultural expectation. It's interesting to you, I, I will just a side note, I've got a son, Tom, my son, Canyon, he's 17, still in high school, but he's in a accelerated college program and he, uh, he'll soon have his, uh, associate's degree. And he is, we think his net, we're waiting for his next SAT to come back and we're thinking it's going to be over 1500. Uh, he was almost already there, which that's Ivy league entrance. And so he's kind of doing the same thing. He's got full ride already to, you know, this college and that college and, and this, but he could get into whatever Princeton, what not, does he want to do that? And so we're, we're right where you talk, where you talked about, what do you want to do and how is that going to play out? And is the big Ivy league degree necessary? Maybe it is. What would it allow you to do? Uh, or over here. So we're playing that out. And, and how often do we don't, we don't do that. We don't play out the scenario, which is what Jordan did. You know, he goes to medical school because he thinks he should because of his dad dying at a young age. And he had, he attached himself to that. He goes, he gets out, now he's a doc. Now he's in practice and he right, right away realizes, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. That's tragic. I feel like the first, you know, before you get in, in entry to medical school, is this what you want to do? Do you really want to be a doc? Do you know what the grind of a doctor looks like? Do you know what the trajectory and people, we don't ask those questions. Now, however, a lot of people, the majority listening to this show are well entrenched. They made those decisions long ago. Now they're 40. Now they're 50. And I, I feel like the biggest hurdle here, Tom, is to hear a message like this. It makes sense. But oh my gosh, it's just the feeling of it's just, I got too much invested. Too much is going on. It's too much for a life change right now. And I find myself wanting to, how can we make that more palatable? First off, you don't have to make a change. What if you go through this and find that there are some changes that might help you? You don't have to. You know, and if anything, it may just give you some clarity and help you balance things out. And you may realize, you know what? I'm not going to stop being a doctor at this point, even though, yeah, I go through this practice of asking why and realize it's not the best fit for me, but I'm going to stay here. Well, maybe you'll move somewhere. Maybe it'll allow you to go a different direction. I mean, Jordan Grummet did not stop initially being a doctor when he came to this realization, but he did change from, I think it was internal medicine. Can't remember exactly, but whatever he was in and he went over into palliative care and chose to make less. But, you know, at least he understood the score, but it may allow you just to make a little, a little, a little adjustment, a little pivot 
Or you may look at it and go, oh my gosh, I'm ready for something radical. Either way, I believe you'll find more peace just in getting the cards on the table, just in doing that. I mean, if I found out right now, if I went through this and realized, oh my gosh, I actually don't like podcasts and it causes me great anxiety and I dread each show, except for the ones with Tom and, uh, and, and, and whatnot. Well, I wouldn't just ditch it right away. I'd look at how can I take some of these skills and transfer them to something else? that may be just as lucrative or more or something, but what, what, what could I do? But the other side of that, it's like, it, we're back to that aspect of risk analysis, right, Tom, of saying, we tend to look at, oh my gosh, the risk of, of changing, the risk of doing something different. And we so often, we, me included, tend to initially forget, what's the risk of staying here? If I stay here in this place, it's eating away at my soul, at my anxiety, at my happiness, day by day that's not that's not the legacy i want to leave that's not my kids would rather me be a a joyful inspired supportive well everybody would be there's nobody that i know that would they'd rather have me be a, a happy joyful inspired guy than to have a new car nobody cares or a fancy house nobody cares except me because of my ego uh so much of it back to what you said the stuff that we accumulate uh, which brings us to even Arthur Brooks, you know, and strength to strength, looking at that second phase of life, which a lot of listeners are in and looking at questioning it. Is this really what I want now? Uh, and we're back to the core, back to the root. When I think of all the things that are going on in the world, um, how much time do we, do we waste or do we, misuse because our priorities aren't in alignment with what we really want, what really matters, what we really care about. Uh, whenever I speak to a group, I always tell people, hey, I believe every single person in this room has a common purpose, and that's to serve our, our fellow human being, right? Yeah. We, right? We're, we're here to serve each other. I mean, that's to me, that's and then I think each of us has a unique purpose, which is how, we, how are we gonna serve it? How are we gonna make that difference? I've seen the transformation happen in people's lives two, two basic ways. They don't like what they're doing, and then they evaluate what's important to them, and then they realize that they could just change how they're doing what they do and they get total satisfaction. So if you're an accountant and you hate accounting, that's terrible, mm -hmm. right? I can't think of a worse because I'm not a numbers guy like that at all. But let's say you're really good at numbers and you realize that you're really not doing accounting you're having meaningful relationships with every client and you're helping them achieve their life goals by giving them great advice around what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And so what thrills you about what you do is you get to have a snapshot of somebody's life and you re-engineer your accounting practice so that you can have that quality time with people. Yeah. Uh, I think I've told the story of a, a friend, their, their father-in-law was a dentist and he decided one year that he was, he was, he was missing his family. He was just working all the time. And so he made a decision that he was going to be on vacation from his dental practice every time that his kids were out of school. So he called his accountant and he said, Hey, I'm going to make 20% less money. So we need to adjust everything so that happens. And the accountant said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to rearrange my practice to where I'm only going to work days where my kids are at school. And that's going to be less days in total. And the accountant said, well, let's just see what happens. And he said, what else do you want in your practice? And he said, well, I want to, I want to have fun when I go in. He said, well, what could you do to create an atmosphere of family and fun? And so they started putting policies in, and one of the policies was that uh, he would bring the people in in waves, and he would go have a cup of coffee with them before he started. 
So imagine you're out in the waiting room and there's a really fancy coffee set up and it's, it's not a typical waiting room. It's, it's more like a coffee shop and people are talking. And the dentist comes out and starts having a cup of coffee with everybody and then starts bringing them back. He said that if he saw somebody looking at their watch, he would just look at them and say, my practice is probably not for you because we're, we're here for the people, right? We want a relationship. And then the second thing he did is it was common in the industry that if somebody missed an appointment or canceled within 24 hours, there was a hundred dollar uh, fine, right? You had to pay right. if you didn't, even if you didn't show up. And so they changed it to where the first time you didn't show up, you had to give your family's secret recipe, whatever it is your grandmother was famous for making. And then the second time, you missed an appointment. You actually had to cook the recipe and bring it in on Friday potluck because they had That's a little brilliant. And so at the end of the year, he makes more money than he's ever made working because he. So that was the first ways people transform is they they prioritize what's really important to them, and then they do the little changes and what they're really good at anyway to make it work. Yeah. And then the other one is uh, the thing that we're all familiar with. And that's somebody who's like, I'm just in the wrong place. I gotta go, I gotta go learn something new. Um, and a lot of times that happens and people don't even know it, right? They go to school for something and they get into something and then because they're not interested in it and they don't like it, they're not very good at it and they get invited to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then happenstance brings them to the right place, right? Others are very aware, uh, like, you know, like I was, I thought I was supposed to be a doctor, but I'm not, I'm supposed to be doing this. Right. Yeah. So, so the transformation can happen both ways where you can reinvent how you do what you do to fill your purpose and your why, or it might be a whole new thing. Yeah. You remind me, yeah, just the aspect of what are we doing? Is a realtor, is a realtor who is out there feel like I sell houses uh, or do they feel like, no, I provide people with a home, you know, kind of like uh, uh, George Bailey uh, in, in the old Christmas movie, you know, he was providing people with a, a legacy. I think about that uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about the lady who sold us our land. I'm sure she has no idea. She, back you know, to her, I imagine she sold a plot of land. She has no idea the legacy for our family. We've been there, you know, we've owned that land probably 16 years now, built our home on it. That is, that's my kid's memories. I mean, she saw, if she had the gravity of that and went to the next person thinking, man, I have no idea what ripple effects are going to happen by helping them purchase this land, this home, whatnot. It's kind of the old bricklayers story, right? You know, one guy's asked, what are you doing? Ah, you know, I'm, I'm laying bricks. Uh, the other guy says, well, I'm building a wall. It's got a little bit bigger vision. And the other guy says, dude, I'm, I'm helping create a cathedral uh, for you know worship or whatever it was. You know, He's got such a bigger vision. And we can't have that about everything. Matter of fact, I was involved in the real estate industry a long time ago. And I, it, I didn't have that feeling. I mean, I could have tried to connect that. But truth is, it just wasn't something that was of a big interest to me. And I went after things that were, but how often we again miss, why are we choosing this? Again, that's, you know, we're beyond survival mode, but uh, uh, this is getting to the root of it. Tom, one thing I did want to bring up with you though, as I thought about this, about Jordan's message, and if I did have a, well, I do have a finite time to live, you know, but if, if, if it was brought to me acutely is I think most of us tend to think of, and this is what we see in the movie scenes of, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta make reparations with connect, you know, with people, with relationships. That's one side of it. I was thinking literally this morning and prep for this show, thinking about one of the things I would want to do is just solidify, seal some connections with those people who are important to me. My kids were at the top, of course, but even others. But even if I looked at my kids to think, uh, I want, I want to, I want to bless them. I want to bless them. I want to, I want to, I would, I would want to, and I'm going to correct that in a second. I would want to say, this is what I see in you. 
and just lift and do a Zig Ziglar on them, you know, just encourage them and lift them up with what I see in them, like a blessing, like a biblical blessing. This is what I see in you. And this, and this is what I would want for you. This is what I would, and, and for me, it would be that self-actualization that you would pursue your spirituality and God, that you would love others, things like that. And of course, I'm sitting there this morning thinking, I think Jordan's message is, why don't I do that now? Why don't I do that now? Why don't I take a week and write out something for each kid? And if I just send them a note, a text, an email, if I can see them, some of them are out of town. And why not do that now? Because I could be gone tomorrow. So why don't I give them that now? They need that more than money. And I went to a, I went to on a trip with some guys earlier this year. We went to Mexico, went to have some fun, but it was also talking about legacy. And as we talked about that and not to invalidate the benefit that you might have by giving your kids some money or something like that, but we don't know if you have a hundred thousand dollars to leave a kid when you die or whatever, or a million, whatever, you have no idea if that's going to help them or not. It may absolutely wreck them. It's a, it's a toss up. You do not know. What you do know, though, is if you connected with them and inspired and lifted them up, we know that that's good. There's no downside to doing that. I don't know if there's any greater legacy that I could give, but I can give that now. I can do that now. It really brought me to go and my connections with people are the best legacy that I can. That, that will succeed anything that I do. If I write 10 best-selling books, if I whatever, nothing's going to. Nothing's going to eclipse that connection and lifting up. And I can do that today. And I'm really going to do that, Tom. I even thought about doing that and just setting that as an annual thing. Every year I send my kids a blessing. This is what I see in you. This is what I lift and encourage in you. And, and this is something I would hope for you that I would want for you, not an expectation, you know, that I would want happiness. That's not an expectation. I'm not saying I wish you, you would become a lawyer. That's an expectation. It's this is what I would want for you to understand yourself, to be happy, to give yourself, to, to be a Tom Ziegler and to have the highest standards and the deepest grace, something you didn't see your father do that well most of your life. This is what I would, that's a want. That's not an expectation uh, that puts a pressure on them. Uh, that's, that may be my biggest takeaway from Jordan. Well, I think that, and then also just what we've talked about thus far, looking at my own life, asking why and considering what am I doing day in and day out and why? And it, it just, I'm blown away with myself and with our culture again, to our uh, propensity to not ever do that. And it seems like we're missing the most important thing in our lives, which is why Jordan's bringing us this deathbed message to say, guys, don't wait for the deathbed. This is right now. You, you probably won't die tomorrow, but this is, well, I was going to say this is serious, but I don't want to make it, this, this is serious, but this is glorious stuff. Is that a better, better way of saying it? It is. It is. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, you and I had the same thoughts. My thought was, golly, there's some friends that I haven't talked to in years. And it's not like 
I want to go back and try to start up a new French, you know, rekindle the friendship and get back together. It was like, and there's just some things that I want to tell them about that time that would, you know, that were true, that would bless them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, well, why don't you do that? Yeah. Well, part of it is you don't ever think about it. And the other part is it's inconvenient, right? I mean, you know, it's awkward. It's all those things, but what were the words that he used? What do you, you know, if you had a year to live, what, what, what haven't you done because you don't have the courage, the energy? Yeah. That, I mean, that was the big premise is his uh, kind of this, this, it was almost a visceral experience is what he talked about. Here he is in a room with a patient and he's delivering this diagnosis, but I'm so sorry with what your, you know, heart disease or whatever they've got cancer. You've got a week to live. You've got a month, you've got six months. You may have two years, either way, stuff just got real. And, you know, again, as I'm easily saying that it's so arrogant for us to not think that that could be any of us. I can have a car wreck today and it's over. Uh, but the change that they would go through from going to, he said, well, this is literally, this is right out of the book. So I'm going to read it. Something remarkable happens. The self-protective stories about identity, work, and money crumble, leaving them with clarity about who they are, what they love, and what really matters. They become free as there's no reason to hold up pretense, no need to protect. Their focus shifts from fear of loss toward, uh, toward from fear of loss toward possibility of what can still be gained and people focus on true desires for the first time. And that self, going from self-protection to possibility, I think I've mainly been focusing, Tom, just on the self-protection, just his, I mean, he's just showing me the stats. And, and so I'll put it in my house, Kevin, chances are a large percentage of my life today, right now, as we're recording, is more geared around self-protection than possibility. And even like what you're talking about, going, you know, talking to friends and whatnot, talking to kids and whatnot, that's, that's very weighty for a lot of people. That's scary to get intimate and vulnerable and say something I really mean. And how's it going to come across? And so there's so many reasons that keep us from ever doing that. And yet, if you're given that terminal diagnosis today, that's what he's saying. That falls away. So what if they do think bad about you? You're going to die. You're going to be gone. They'll have to deal with it. You know, go ahead and say it now. And he's trying to say, how can we do that right now? Shed that self-protective layer and have that revelation, that freedom of how we would be. How, how can we do that? Now, I mean, that's his, that's his devotion right now. That's why I wrote the book. How can we be brought to that now? It reminds me back in my brand new days selling. Uh, we had a guy on our team, Bill Porter, and he had one liner after one liner. And, you know, one of his comments when somebody would come up, he'd say, hey, if you, if you could start making more money, would you want to do that now or would you want to do it later? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, the answer is now, right? So if we were going to have a fuller life, would we want to start doing that now? I mean, it's, it's really that's like the foundational question. I'll, so I'll what, go for what, now. Yeah. What are, what are the steps to a fuller life? Yeah. It's well, and then, and then there's where Jordan testifies that he came to. So he came to this realization uh, because of some circumstances and, and then realized, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I set that out there to give people back to you some, some grace, the deepest grace that if you hear in this and you realize, okay, I get the idea and I don't know you're in really good company. And now's the time to do that. So you can devote a minute, per day to that, your some morning times, 10 minutes, an hour, you can take a weekend, you can take whatever it is, you know, if it's going to overwhelm you, you're not going to do that, then, then that's obviously not going to work. But what can you be doing now to figure out what you want? And, and I, I'm just shameless self-promotion. That's, that's what my book, what drives you is about is helping you walk through and help you understand and conceive of why you have gotten to this point now, what the pressures are culturally, and to give you some freedom to step back and say, huh, what do I, and, and, and really it comes, it hits to a piece that, or a word that you said in a little, a little while ago, Tom was authenticity. 
How are we authentic to ourselves? We don't really know what that means. I actually have a show coming up. Uh, it's probably going to be a couple months after this, but on really dissecting what authenticity looks like for ourselves. Cause I don't think that we, me included, really understand what that looks like. We have no concept of being authentic because we're so back to what you said, geared towards uh, what our cultural expectations are. I think it's the weightiest thing that we have. Yep. Yeah. Well, today on our, every Monday we have a group, it's called Choose to Win Mentoring. And so people from all over join this group and we go through the wheel of life. You know, we do each spoke and every week's different. And I lead it. I call it mentoring because I get as much wisdom out of the group as I put into it. Yeah. And so one of our, our newer uh, members said he, he's just started journaling. And he's been doing it a few weeks. And he's so, you know, he's like, I've all my life, I've known I should do this, but I haven't. But I've finally taken action and I'm doing it. He gave some good feedback. And then I told him the story, and I think it's the guy who wrote the book, Incrementalism, the one who said, um, I had two grandfathers. One of them left me everything. One of them left me nothing. Do you remember he was on the show? Essentialism. Essentialism. Yeah, not, inc yeah, Greg, not incremental. Greg, yeah, Greg McEwen. Greg McEwen. Greg McEwen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Greg and the story was is that he had moved away from his hometown when he was a little boy, so he didn't grow up with either grandfather. So he goes back to the funeral for the first grandfather, and he's sitting in the pews, and he's looking around, and he's realizing he doesn't know his grandfather at all. All the essence of his grandfather is now in the memories of everybody else in this room who got to do life with him. And then when his second grandfather died, he was given a book and the book was, I think it was like 40 years where this grandfather wrote one sentence a day in a journal. Hmm. And that was his gift. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we have about 30 in this group that, that come and, and you could just feel the, like the intensity of that situation because not only was it, in alignment with our purpose and why we all value our time here, but it was also doable. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't have to figure out the meaning of life to create meaning in life. Right. Because, that's a good line. Ooh, that's a good line. Did you yeah. just write that? Yeah, that just popped out. We should tweet that. Say it again. Say it again. We don't have to understand the meaning of life to create meaning in life. And the context was, is we look at this big, hairy, okay, I've got to get my laser clarity focus on the things that really matter, but it's so overwhelming. I'll just do that tomorrow. Yeah. When instead, could I write one sentence a day to, in my journal that my great, great, great grandkids will read that I'll never meet. Right. One sentence a day, literally one to two minutes a day, I can create meaning in life, hmm. which will, I think lead to the discovery of what is the meaning of life. Um, that, that's our anchor, Tom. There's the mic drop right there. We don't have to understand the meaning of life to create meaning of life, meaning in life, Tom Ziegler. Hey, brother, always a gift to do this with you. I always learn even more. Thank you. Can't wait to be with you next week in the flesh. Sounds good. Well, yeah. how about this week? It's this week. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's this week. <laughs> how about that? Two days from now. Sorry. <laughs> Two days. All right. Well, hey, thanks right. to Jordan Grummet. Thanks for checking out the show, Tom, and giving your insight. It's a gift, brother. You bet. Jordan Grummet's book, again, is Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. You can also tune into him right now in whatever podcast app you have at the Earn and Invest podcast. And you can find Tom Ziegler at Ziegler.com. 
Friends, thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. Oh,